1862, Phillips Brooks became the pastor of the Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia. He recruited a salesman named Lewis Redner to serve as the church organist. The church grew from 30 to 1,000 in less than a year, partly because of Brooks' preaching and partly because of Redner's music. Brooks gained a reputation as one of the most dynamic preachers of his day. And after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, Brooks was asked to preach the funeral sermon. After preaching that sermon, it so drained Brooks, and you can only imagine the amount of pressure that would go into preaching uh, Abraham Lincoln's funeral sermon after he's been assassinated. He was so drained, so drained after the funeral sermon that his church gave him a sabbatical. They told him to leave for a while, to go away. So later that year, Brooks made a trip to Jerusalem. And on Christmas Eve, he found himself riding on horseback from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. As he rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, he listened to a choir singing in the church nativity. Brooks decided to write a poem to express what it felt like to stand there and uh, right there near the place where Jesus was born. He entitled the poem that he wrote, O Little Town of Bethlehem. O Little Town of Bethlehem. Later, Lewis Redner, his church organist back home, would write a melody and they would turn that poem into the Christmas carol that we sing, know, and love. O Little Town of Bethlehem. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 2. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, and go to verse 4. And let's read together a few of the verses that give the account of the little town of Bethlehem and Jesus' birth that took place there. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4. The Word of God says in Luke 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 4, that Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And he went there because he was of the house and lineage of David. Why did he go? Verse 5 says he went to Bethlehem that time of year to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being or who was great with child. And so it was that while they were there, The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, the Bible tells us, because there was no room for them in the inn. We read about Jesus' birth here in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. And there are some thoughts that spring to mind this time of year when we are reminded of this great text. I want to share three thoughts with you today. First thought that comes to my mind from reading this text is this. We see here that God's greatest gift, God's greatest gift that he ever gave to hurting humanity, God's greatest gift came to a little town. A little town of Bethlehem, 
how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Bethlehem was two miles outside of Jerusalem. So we would say that it might be a quiet suburb of the big city. And yet to this small little hamlet, this small little village, came God's greatest gift that the human race has ever known, right here to this little town. Zechariah asked in his book of the Bible, the prophet Zechariah asked the question in chapter 4, verse 10 of his book, who has despised the day of small things? We often overlook small things, small things that God delights in. Think with me of all the things or some of the things in the Bible that are very small, but God has seen fit to use them in great ways. In fact, it seems if you read the thread of the Bible that over and over again we are shown that it brings God delight to use small things and do something great through them. There are small numbers in the Bible. Was it not Jonathan, Saul's son, who told his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, 6, that it makes little difference to God whether he saves by a few, use a few people to save us, or uses many. Then there are small people. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, that the church should look around, that you and I should look around at the people that make up the church. There are not many celebrities. There are not many people in the church that the world would acclaim as great or mighty or rich or gifted. No. When you look around the church, you see that God delights to use the nobodies of this world to give Him glory and honor. If you are glad today, personally glad, that Jesus Christ allows nobodies to worship Him and exalt Him, say Amen. There are small numbers all throughout the Bible that God uses. He doesn't need thousands upon thousands or millions upon millions. And there are small people in the world's eyes are nobodies, but they're really not nobodies because they're God's creation. And he uses those small people in Scripture to do amazing things. We see small numbers and small people throughout the thread of the Bible we also see small gifts. We think about the little boy. Maybe you know the story that Jesus was doing his teaching ministry and he would go from place to place and people would come. And uh, you've probably heard, heard, heard told in those days it was a little different. I would be sitting down and you would be standing up. Uh, that's why when people complain sometimes about having to stand for different things, I always think you would have never made it through one of Jesus' messages now, granted, if you were infirmed or older, uh, they would probably let you sit down. But the expectation was that you stood, and the one who brought that word, they would sit. And you would stand in honor of that. So you can imagine being part of that crowd that had to go and, and stood. And the Bible says they kept following Jesus. They would not be dissuaded, and they kept going. As you can imagine, for several days in a row, going and standing up and standing there as this great teacher gives the word of life. And you can imagine how tired you would be and worn out you would be and exhausted you would be after doing this. And we're told one day that the crowds are following, and they're tired, and they're worn out. And the end of the day has arrived, and they haven't 
had anything to eat. The Bible tells us there was a little boy who gave his lunch to Jesus. He used his small little lunch and God used it to feed 5,000. Or think of the widow. The Bible says dropped her two coins into the offering and went on her way. She is famous through that story. It's also a powerful indictment of the religious leaders that were there because apparently they would burden a woman like that to do that, to give a gift like that, and yet they themselves were really doing very little in the grand scope of things. No, the woman who dropped her two coins and the boy who gave his lunch, they had no idea that thousands of years later we would still be talking about their small act. Small people, small towns, small gifts, small moments. Maybe you, if you think about it, some of the most important things you've done or will do have been in moments of smallness. Maybe it was a dedication that you made at an end of a, 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 a church camp service, just a small moment in the scope of things, but maybe it was there that you made a decision with God. Maybe it was a prayer of a commitment at an altar in a church. Or maybe it was a church where you looked at the one that you loved and you said two very small words, but very significant. You said the words, I do. Maybe you decided to start reading your Bible. And you struggle and struggle, but you find as you push through those small readings that over time they accumulate into a great big movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe there was the time that you went next door to your neighbor and reached out to them only to find that they were hurting and lonely and afraid. Small gifts, small people, small moments. We have seen through this sermon series, if you've been with us, some great names. We've seen Rachel and Benjamin and we saw King David last week. Great people associated with this small town. And so when I read this Christmas text, I'm reminded that God's greatest gift, God's greatest gift came to a little town. Second thing I'm reminded today, as I look at this text, is that not only did God's greatest gift come to a little town, but God's greatest gift came through a humble family. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. Mary and Joseph were not celebrities. Joseph was a blue-collar working man, a carpenter, and Mary was a simple peasant girl. They were not wealthy, but these are the ones that God chose to parent the Messiah his only son. Now, I've got a question, all right? And since I have a question, and uh, the young people, I know they'll respond, I want you to think real quick. If you could have any automobile, what would you have? What would you have? An old Camaro. You're going to steal Anthony Hammock's Camaro. We can arrange this. He won't give it? All right. What would you have, Tricia? Oh man, you don't what a Honda a Honda Civic? You got your dream car? All right, all right. You got to think big, girl. You got to move up a little bit here. What car? An old Chevy, any particular kind? Old Chevy truck. 
All right? What are you going to get, Randall? What are Randall and Robbie? What you want them to get you? Think big, boy. Chevy Equinox. You hear that, Dad? You're going to have to start that third job to get it, all right? You know the name of the Walton family that started Walmart? If you, know the, if you know about the Walton family that started Walmart, lift your hand. Everybody know them? Yeah, everybody knows them. All right, Jim Walton. He is the, the, the quietest, kind of the most withdrawn of the family. He still lives in Bentonville, Arkansas. He's the son of the founder. Still lives in little Bentonville, Arkansas. And from there, he manages the wealth uh, of the family. And I was reading about him, and they said that he's really like his dad in so many ways. And one way that he's like his dad is he doesn't flaunt his wealth, and he hasn't had to go out and buy a lot of things to make him feel important. In fact, uh, a few years ago, he was still driving a truck that he had for like 14 years. Brother Rick, show him that, a 1992 Dodge Dakota. And this is a few years back, but he drove that, and that's not it, but that's a picture of a Dodge Dakota. 1992 Dodge Dakota, and he drove that thing. For 14, 15 years. Now, in the case of Jim Walton, his net worth is $19.2 billion. $19.2 billion, And yet he has chosen to live a humble life. And that's a great thing. But let us remember that Mary and Joseph did not choose to live humbly. That was the only life that they knew. And so when sin would tempt you in your pride to think that you know it all or you're more spiritual or you're more dedicated or you just uh, live a little better life you're just a little higher plane than other people around you and it's obvious by the things you have that God loves you just a little bit more when sin tempts you to puff yourself up in pride remember what first Corinthians 1 teaches us for you see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Why? Why has God chosen the foolish to confound the wise? And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised. Yes, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh, why has he done this? Why has God chosen his eternal purpose to operate this way? He has done this that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God, it is Christ Jesus who has made us unto wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. God is using the weak things of this world to confound the strong. He has used the foolish to confound the wise. And we think of this story, the Savior Jesus, who was born in that stable at the same time he is born. The Bible tells us that after that birth, the, the other king of Israel, the fleshly king of Israel, King Herod, and so confounds him, it so angers him that God would move in this way that he plots to take the Christ child's life. My friends, it has always been the work of God to use the small things, the humble things, the little things to remind this world that we are not as much in charge as we think we are, that it is God's world and God's throne and He still reigns. Amen, church?
God's greatest gift came to a little town. It came through a humble family. And I was reminded through some readings that I did this week that God's greatest gift also came as a helpless infant. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his head. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. If you are glad Jesus saves, say amen. We started the service off with that great reminder that there is Jesus' birth that begins this life, and there is the death on the cross that takes it. The day in the midst of this world of sin your soul will humble itself before God and you will kneel before him you will find that Christ will save you as he has saved so many thousands of others Jesus came to earth a tiny infant dependent on devotion and care from human parents now given the great failure of the first family Adam and Eve when you think about the failure of the first two people God ever made Adam and Eve they fail right off the bat When you consider the failure of that first human family and the consequences of that failure, it is amazing to me that God would ever entrust anything, much less his own son, to another pair of human beings. There are many mysteries at Christmas. And sometimes we only focus on one or two, but if you allow the mystery of what occurred in the incarnation to really grapple with your mind and and grab a hold of your mind, if you really wrestle with Scripture, you will find that there are so many things about this that just don't make sense. We wouldn't do it this way. Here's Adam and Eve. They've messed it all up. They've been banished from the Garden of Eden, and every parent can tell you we all walk in their footsteps. My wife and I are not perfect. You're not perfect. There's no other human couple or human individual that has been able to do life right. And yet we strive for it. We work for it. We desire it. Adam and Eve failed. And yet Jesus, who comes to earth as a tiny infant, who needs the devotion and care of human parents, it is into that same family of Adam and Eve that God places his son through their descendants, Mary and Joseph. It's beyond my comprehension. And it is one of the thousand upon thousands of miracles of Christmas that God would place Jesus in the care of us. It was not in power that Jesus came, but it was an absolute weakness. If Jesus shows us the way, In the way of his birth is also a reminder that it was in weakness that he came. And if Jesus came in weakness to reach us, now listen, if you grasp nothing else, grasp this. If Jesus came in weakness to reach us, we must know that the only way we will ever reach God is in weakness as well. Jesus used weakness to reach us, and it is through weakness that we will also get to God the Father. For we do not save ourselves. It is when we are weak that we find that he is strong. Christmas reminds us. It calls to us. It beckons to us. Oh, in the midst of all the clatter, 
and all the lights and all the show and all the wonderful cultural things that my family enjoys to do and many of yours do, there's still the small, silent voice of God speaking at Christmas through His Son, reminding us that you will not earn your salvation. You will earn death and damnation and hell. You will fail as Adam and Eve. But you can have life everlasting when you receive it as the gift that Jesus gives. That is the theme. That is the idea that drives the great Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And you read those verses and you think of Philip Brooks, who there in Jerusalem, his soul has been crushed by the death of Abraham Lincoln, who has led his nation through a war and has now been assassinated. And this man had to rise up and give the eulogy and give the sermon for this great president. And, he, and he's right in the midst of building an exploding church that this happens. It's taken all the life from him. This great preacher has had this sort of emotional breakdown. This church says, go, leave for a while, take a sabbatical and go and rest. And he's had this emotional breakdown and he finds himself in Jerusalem. And this man that if you know much about preaching, you'll quickly discover he's considered one of the greatest orators, preachers that America has ever produced. And this man that is such a great preacher, still lauded today among students of preaching, they still study his approach. And yet after the greatest sermon in the worldly sense he ever gave, gave, Abraham Lincoln's funeral, he finds himself broken. He finds himself at Bethlehem. It was there he wrote this great hymn of God's coming in humility and weakness. And a reminder that that is how we must receive him. On the day the Christ child was born, there in the straw lay the hope of all humanity There lay our only hope, Emmanuel, God with us. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in and be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. You will. If he is your Emmanuel, God with you, say amen. Even this week, there have been those in the hospital. Even this week, there have been those who have had struggles at their job. Even this week, there have been those that have feuded and fought with their spouses in the midst of what should be a great, wondrous time. The cares of this world are heavy, heavy upon some in this room. God did many astonishing things at the little town of Bethlehem great journey of Rachel and her husband that we saw a few weeks ago. And then Ruth and Naomi. Naomi, who is living in Moab, her and her husband had fled there because of the famine in Israel. And their sons marry daughters, and then the sons die and the husbands die, and Naomi is all alone, and she thinks she's all alone. And so she heads back to Bethlehem, her little town, to go, and yet God will not abandon her. She thinks God, when you read the story, she thinks God has abandoned her, but he is not. And he sends her a Ruth and he sends her a Boaz to remind him that when things are broken, God delights in putting them back together. And then we saw David, great King David, 
And there at his hometown at Bethlehem, we saw the great story of the three soldiers in the midst of war. The Philistines have taken over Bethlehem. And David was a great leader. And we saw last week that three of his men heard David say, if I could only get some water from Bethlehem. They were hiding out in a cave nearby. The Philistines controlled the town. And David, thinking of his hometown, said, if I could just get some water from the well, it would make me feel better. And we saw last week the story of the three warriors that broke into the city and brought the water back. And how King David, when he was given the water from the well of Bethlehem, that he could not drink it, but he poured it out as an offering. Many amazing things have happened in this little town. Rachel, Naomi, David. Many astonishing things occurred at Bethlehem. But the greatest work, The eternal work of God was when this helpless infant came to save helpless sinners like you and me. This Christmas, it is a great joy to take communion together, to celebrate the salvation of helpless sinners through Jesus. And today, you are free to take communion with us. And it is a reminder that this helpless child who came, that he died, that he gave his life so that we could live. And in communion, we are reminded that this little baby grew to be a man and that his body was broken. You see, that's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Sin has broken you. It's broken your spirit. It's broken your dreams. It's broken your ambitions. Maybe your health has been broken by the effects of sin. And you say, I am broken today. And the great reminder of communion is that Jesus heals your brokenness By allowing his body, the son of God, allowing his body to be broken as well. The mental anguish of Jesus on the cross is a mind breaking under the strain of this experience of dealing with the effects of sin. The one who has never known sin. When you read the account, it is obvious that there is mental battle going on within Jesus. Do I understand all that? No way. But I read the cry in the garden. I read the pain from a cross. Perhaps today it's not physical. Perhaps it's a mental breakdown of your own mind. And you feel so broken. My friends, Jesus was broken on the cross for you. He spilled his blood. He allowed his body to be broken. So through his broken body, you may be healed. So you are free to take communion with us if you've accepted Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, we want you to take communion with us. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you need to be a member of Christ's church. Some musicians come on this way to prepare for the communion meal. I want us to pray together. I want us to get our hearts and our minds right for this sacred reminder, this sacred activity that we're going to partake in. And today, if there's any sin in your life, if there's any sin in your heart, if there's anger that you hold toward a brother or sister, if there's pride that you need to let go of, if there's a need in your life that you need to confess, this is your moment, this is your time. Would you stand with me? Lord God, I ask right now that you would just move in the quiet place, in the quiet space. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would speak right in this moment.
Lord, if there is one that is weak today, we're going to play through the hymn one time. And Lord, if they need to come, Lord, I pray they would come and they would find life in you. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we take